Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the show. This is the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast. I am Dr. Jim Hoven, and it is my pleasure today to join someone who has been consistently in the forefront of nonprofit work, also understanding the deep um, intricacies of small business and personal development, three of my favorite things. Wow. And so uh, I am excited and beyond happy to be uh, introducing to you all, maybe for the first time, and uh, to our listening audience, a wonderful, wonderful human being named Stephanie Knight. Stephanie, I'll, well, I'm going to let you talk about all of your background and the various things and what you're doing now with Senior Hub. We're going to come into that. But first, I just want to thank you for coming, especially given the crazy times that we're in. Yeah, and absolutely. And welcome you to the show. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to participate. This is a great opportunity just kind of to, to share a little bit about our agency, kind of my trajectory with work, my personal philosophies, and how I kind of view where we are right now and how we all have to reach in in new and different ways. So I think that's really important to have this conversation. Oh, I love that. You're already <laughs> getting the hairs on my neck tingling, like standing up in a good way. This is good because it's so funny. Um, I think all throughout time, we hear in times like these, right? Yeah, all throughout. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm 52 years old. And so I can remember hearing when, you know, when I was in the church uh, in times like these. And then in when I was in college, in times like these, we've never seen times like this before, which tells me that every time is common and yeah. every time is unique. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. There's commonalities of threads and, and there's uniquenesses. And we find ourselves in both a common time where some old things, whether it be sicknesses or social problems and, and injustice, all these things, common threads bubbling back up, but in a whole new and unique way. And some of the things that you've done, you've experienced and that you're doing now, they literally have a direct impact on those things. And so I really want to get to those. And as we start, share with us, Stephanie, a little bit about your background and, and growing up and how um, how you came to this decision to work into nonprofits from the profit sector. Sure. Well, um, early on, I guess, and my dad's no longer with me. He was kind of a titan in my life and, you know, a consummate role model to me, a business professional, um, worked for a Fortune 100 company and was a Harvard grad. So very smart man. Wow. Uh, yep. He actually has an award named after him for the most enterprising sales individual in the country with ConAgra, which is the Robert E. Williams Sales Award. So it was big shoes to fill, literally. And also he was a 15 triple E. So literally big That's shoes. That's a big man. <laughs> it is. Yeah. 15 triple E? Yes. And I'm six feet. So I'm no slouch, but he was a big man. No, yeah. let me ask you, was he, was he also with a, with a 15 triple Was he an athlete? Did he play sports? Was he into that side of things or was he all about just the acad academics and the making things happen, salesmanship and the creation? What, where, where did he stand in that? Uh, salesman, okay. consummate salesman. He used to sell newspapers at five, um, started there um, in the South, in Tennessee is where he was reared and, and grew up. Um, so yeah, he was a consummate salesman, just kind of grew up through the company and had a lot of leadership and professional development along the way. Actually, um, uh, his uh, major was agronomy. So he knew kind of the 4-H world and agriculture and things like that, which was very complimentary to, of course, a, a large food organization like ConAgra Foods that had multiple products under their umbrella. So yes. it was just a very smart man. Um, and my mom, I was very fortunate growing up to have a mom that stayed at home, okay. which is very, you know, not typical. So again, someone that took 
us to all our activities, somebody that was um, available after school that, you know, assisted with all our recreation. But again, very smart in her own right, a strong support system to my dad. And you have to have that when you look at your partnerships over life. And I certainly know that now I just celebrated on the 14th, 30 years of marriage with my husband. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Huh? We were babies. I tell people when they meet us, we met in the womb and we just knew we were <laughs> destined right. to be. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but anyway, that's kind of, that was my orientation. I have two siblings. So again, coming from, I guess, a strong business acumen household, I'm always had those seeds planted within me, but really complimentary to that was what my dad would say. And that's how we started with talking about him a little bit was I had a heart for kind of lost puppies or lost souls or the disadvantaged. He would say, Stephanie, no matter where you go, you've, you've met somebody with a hard luck story and they're either coming home or you're trying to help them or give them something or equip them in some way. And he said, I hope at some point this pays off for you, you know, <laughs> so yes. And I was like, Dad, I hear you. But again, that's kind of my hard wiring. That's just how I see the world. And because I've been so blessed and, um, you know, loved on and poured into, I really didn't see life any other way. Wow. That's incredible. So <laughs> when, do, when do you start? How do you first start applying that? And maybe it was even before you got to be an adult. Like you said, you're, you're hardwired yep. to find these people that need help in some way offer help. Was that, did you do that in the form of, as a as a young lady, was that in um, baking things for someone who needed food? Was it for helping get people into resources to talk to? How, how did you know that you were gifted that way? Yeah, it's interesting because I think um, we draw to, again, we all possess energy, positive and negative. And I would, you know, by virtue of having conversations or contact with people, they would share some areas that they needed support in, or even through just a line of conversation, I would hear that they had some breakdowns in their life. So they could look like resources. Hey, do you know about this? Or our church offers that, or you know what, when I was in school, we would do this and this was really helpful. So it was mm -hmm. a good cross section of kind of resources. And then what I knew in terms of my head knowledge and then other resources that I could access through like a church system or a community system or even, you know, leadership that I had been exposed to that may know something about that. But I would try to my best intuitively early on not to leave anybody kind of with that same hole that they presented to me when I met them. And that is I'm, brilliant. <laughs> no, really, really great. What a gift. And here's the interesting kind of follow-up to that. When I grew up, I grew up in a similar kind of fashion in respect that I knew I wanted to help people, but I didn't know how. But what I did know is I wasn't good with my hands. Mm -hmm. I can't fix computers. I don't know how to work on cars. So the way that I figured that I could help people was to become a doctor. Yeah. I didn't know what else to do, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and it was that was my outlet where I could, you know, do take chiropractic training and then help people with pains and aches and this kind of stuff. Another way people might go in that feeling like you were feeling, it sounds like, is they might go into uh, being a therapist, a yes. psychologist, psychiatrist. But it's interesting to me how you were able to funnel and navigate through the options to say, I'm going to be a resource for people who need resources or I'm going to plug them in. Was there any conscious thought to that, uh, to you going in that direction as opposed to any other way to fill needs and help people that you ended up in, in this direction? 
Um, I it probably wasn't that conscious early on. I think you know, again, as I grew and matured and had uh, multiple different relationships. Now, again, some pitfalls of this I will say is maybe some armchair therapy or enabling some relationships that you shouldn't have um, because they're full of holes and those are you know again they should have their lifespan. And I, of course, I've experienced some of that. What woman hasn't or man? Yes. So just learning to kind of navigate that and move on because we all have our brokenness. But again, I may not be the best pairing for that level of brokenness or that type of brokenness. So, and again, I, I looked at it professionally, you know, social work and social services and case management with large healthcare systems is where I started thinking, Hey, you know, uh, organically people come to me, they have this line of questioning. This is a very um, good focused profession for me and an area to start to really be able to help people and coordinate resources, provide a level of follow-up and engage their families. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I kind of landed in social work. Um, and that was shortly after um, leaving Northwestern and pursuing journalism. So again, a lot of communication background, you know, marketing, um, that's also part of my gifting, I think, is my ability to express information, to share it at large and very personal and one-on-one. -on -one. So I was on a journalism track, but I did find as I went through some of my tougher writing courses at the school, I just felt that my writing was becoming more and more sterile, very pat, very clinical, and that just didn't represent me. And if I was going to be a broadcast journalist in a rightful voice, I'd have to adopt some of that because yes. that was the prevailing culture for journalism, and I get that. And so then I said, well, I can still apply this skill set to something I want to do. So, you know, again, pivoting, my life's been full of pivots, um, purposeful pivots, um, because they really want to line up with where I'm authentic and I think I can work the best and make the most impact. So that led me to social work case management in healthcare settings. Um, I did love the, you know, the client connections, the inter interdisciplinary team work that we did. Um, but I didn't like the politics of healthcare. And, you know, we still live in, we're still living in the politics of healthcare. I didn't like some of the just disproportionate, um, you know, um, service delivery that I saw in healthcare. For example, I think one, you know, one thing that's glaring to me and I, I reflect about it when I really started to think I, I need to move on was I had a um, dual amputee. She was in her 60s. She was technically and clinically obese, you know, according to all the healthcare guidelines. And they did not want to authorize prosthetic limbs for this person. And she, um, her family was in Canada. She was, you know, full cognition, very smart woman had, um, I forget her profession, but she was still working every day before she needed this level of care. And I just went round and round with authorizations and they dragged their feet. And at the end of the day, it was all about, we don't want to put this kind of investment in this type of individual because we don't feel, you know, looking at all the indicators and your physician, I don't have to tell you, these things are pretty um, formulary. You know, what is the outcome of a 60-year-old obese woman, dual amputee with prosthetic limbs, right? So that just shuts the conversation down. And I, right. would, I would have conversations because we were in a different time zone with her daughter saying, you know, you know, what are you doing about this? How are you helping us? I want my mom back to her rightful self. And just hearing that um, frequently and hearing that angst and she's not able to come and be a part of any of this decision making or drive any of this help, I just started to think, you know, this just doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel good not to be able to help people that really want to get back to their lives that have, you know, poured into our community and society and someone in some room or two or three persons in some room is saying, we're not going to make this level of investment. And I just could not stomach that. 
um, for much longer. So it just really started me looking and thinking um, about where I wanted to be. Of course, I never take any um, experience or opportunity. I tell my team the same thing. Everything we do in life is never wasted. It's just really, what are we going to do with it? Um, you know, how did we reflect on it? What kind of new awareness did it bring us? So, you know, I just realized that the systemic part and the political part and the corporate part of healthcare was not something I wanted to continue to be a part of. And so I looked for other opportunities, um, you know, kind of within healthcare. But shortly after that, I, I had an opportunity and I, I got married and we were in, um, I lived in Orange County, but I worked in South Central Los Angeles and I ran a YWCA and that was youth directed. Um, and again, I ran and the after school programs, some of the empowerment and mentorship programs, and some things around literature and language, which I really, really enjoyed. And I was able to bring some corporate players into the conversation with the YWCA that hadn't been present before, attract some national authors to do some literary exchanges with um, young women and men that were doing well and excelling academically with English and language and get them recognition and run one of the most successful South Central um, Los Angeles um, camps day camps for that particular organization. That's impressive. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I just hit the ground running. And again, South Central Los Angeles was, um, you know, a lot of the kind of the the gang violence and the, the, the staking of claims in neighborhoods had dissipated somewhat, but was still an undercurrent, right? And I would just remember having conversations with my husband. He's like, I hate you going to this environment every day. It's so scary to me. This is dangerous. And I said, you know what? Because of why I'm here and what I'm doing, they don't bother me. It's like, did they know you? Did, did the gang members know who you were and what you were doing? And they were respective. Is that what you were yeah, saying? That's what I was saying. I would yeah. go into kind of Watts, a community center in Watts. And then I would go kind of in off of Crenshaw, South Central area. And again, they kind of knew me as the social worker lady. She's here to help us. She gets us, she gets the kids stuff, you know, don't bother her. So I had kind of this natural hedge of protection around me, um, which was very interesting because I, I would have my misgivings some days, but I said, you know what, I'm here. I, I'm going to, do this work to the best of my ability. And I'm going to try not to consciously let this get into my head where it affects me and I'm not able to do what I set out to do. So, you know, that I got to ask you, um, (laughs) it's fascinating to me when you look at the opportunities I I watched, what was it called? I watched a movie recently. We were out of town and we're just looking for something to do. And there was a movie in this place we're staying. It was called Hardball. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, have you heard of, of yeah, that movie? Yeah, I haven't watched it, but I've heard so, of it, yeah. So, so we watched, we happened to watch a movie and I thought it was going to be a comedy and it was not a comedy. <laughs> and it was a, it was a movie about essentially um, a guy getting roped into coaching a baseball team in a gang infested neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't even remember what city it was, but you know, it was, it was a bad situation. Yeah. And I think it was Chicago actually. Now that I think about it, I think it was Chicago. And so some of these kids would be part of that baseball team. And that was the thing that kept them out of the gangs is as they were, as they were tied together as a unit. And um, there was one story of a, of a guy who just because of his birth certificate, he ends up not being able to be part of the team. Mm-hmm. And then of course that has mm-hmm. a negative impact on, on socially where he ends up. And, you know, I won't spoil the movie for you because okay. it, it was something, something um, that was pretty, it, it, it was really impactful for me to see it and never really? heard of it. But yeah. anyway, I, as you were in that situation, you have these little ones mm-hmm. and did you guys actively try to help them understand they are in gang life neighborhoods and try to keep them to say, why don't do that? Or do you just try to give them something to connect to where that wasn't 
a void they needed to fill that way? Was it a ongoing conversation? I'm just really interested on the intentionality of you guys running that program because that was such an ominous influence all around, around. the boundaries of that fence or what you're building. You know, what was the perspective? How did you guys intentionally go about that? So I think that's, again, akin to why I like nonprofit work and um, community-based work. Because, again, you can create these safe spaces, these silos, these productive activities, and, again, um, good mentorship opportunities for people that have to kind of walk out of that room or that community center or that program back into a life that's very uncomfortable and full of chaos. So, again, you've heard probably nationally Denzel Washington and other leaders of color speak about the Boys and Girls Club saved me, or yes. it, if it wasn't for so and so who allowed us to come in their home and do our, you know, our after school work, we would have all been drug dealers, or you know, I'm embellishing, but that's kind of the same philosophy. So again, not, you know, they knew far more about their environment than I could ever profess to know because I'm coming in and out of day, every day, and I can't, you know, I'm not an expert by any means. But what again I could show them was, um, you know, African American woman that was well-educated, that had a sensitivity and a concern for what they were experiencing, but also didn't want that to be their determiner and wanted to present different things to them, literary opportunities, and again, you know, some technical opportunities, different pathways, things that they may not see or experience in their everyday life to whet their appetite and to sow those seeds. So that's what I focused on. Um, and then again, within the team that I managed, because I was a program director in that role, is some of the, my team came from that neighborhood. And I think although they had, they had definitely gone on to college and come back and wanted to do this type of work, there was a level of professionalism, again, from kind of my family background and some of the exchanges that I had that they weren't privy to. So I delivered that to my team. You know, I'm, well, let's be the best program we can be. Let's have the best outcomes. Let's have professional materials and, and do a great job on reporting and be able to command an audience with our presentation and engage donors and, and drive that that way. So they were getting, although educated and had, you know, pulled themselves out of some of their immediate concerns, was always trying to elevate them to the next level. Love that. Wow. That's so inspirational. And I was looking at something through your bio. Um, oh. And this is the first time that we're <laughs> literally getting to sit down and visit. I mean, yep. I've seen you a couple of times passing in the hall and, you know, this and that, but this is our first time getting to sit down and visit. And one of the things that was like a wow, an attractor <laughs> factor for me was your connection to John Maxwell. Oh, and you've gone through yes. a Maxwell Leadership yes, Series. Yes. Well, interestingly enough, I've read many, many, many of his books. And uh, one of my favorites is The Five Levels of Leadership. That's a wonderful book. And so to see that that was um, you know, part of your training, and you can obviously, I mean, anyone listening to this can hear it in the first however many, you know, 15, 20 minutes we've been doing this. You are very skilled at um, being able to deliver a message super articulately and with purpose and with a direction. Like it's very clear in this conversation. What did John Maxwell add to you personally? And this, I'm not supporting John Maxwell in yeah, any no, way, one, gotcha. one thing or another, but because we both share that thing, um, I, I, have a, I have a really big respect for what he's trying to accomplish in leadership circles. And I'm just interested from your perspective, how has that helped your team? And what, do you, what are your thoughts on leadership in general as it comes to any type of organization? I think, um, you know, again, uh, John, um, John Maxwell and a lot of other uh, leaderships and thought leaders are very helpful to me in kind of 
formalizing some schools of thought and giving you a roadmap um, to engage other individuals in a kind of formalized way. Because again, some of this stuff is inherent in me, but then again, to know that someone else has put it down on paper, it's become somewhat of a methodology. They really tout it as a way to lead and to engage others is very helpful. So it just kind of refines um, some of my natural leanings. Um, and it was, it's always good to have that validation and confirmation that what you're doing intuitively is right on, right? And somebody wrote a book about it and they go around talking about it and they engage people in this way. So that it helped me in that way. And it also reminds me that there are a lot of tools out there for individuals who seek knowledge and information and want to be um, good at their craft, whatever that craft is. So I always encourage my team, let's just not you know, talk off the top. Let's not just do things off our conjecture or what we think. Let's seek this out. You know, I put the leadership... A team through, of course, the Strength Finder Skill Assessment. A, oh, that's a, a good one. Another good one yes. with a, um, a difference in philosophy of thought where we came up in school. It was like, okay, you know, I'm not good at math. I'm never going to be good at math. I got all the way up to calculus very painfully, um, and, you know, and just got it, took it pass or fail. So I just wanted to have a basic understanding to get into school. But the thought process and moving away from we have to spend X amount of time or hours or days or weeks on things we're not good at, you know, Strength Finders moves away from that. We yes. should live in 60 to 70 percent of our gifts and abilities, yes. and they should show up every day in the work we do. And if we're not living in those, you're probably not doing the right work. So that was all kind of hocus pocus, strange language when I came to the agency and we went through this as a team um, and everyone did their strength finders and they they joke, they're like, you love activators. Well, I'm an activator. I'm also a learner. I'm strategy. But yes, activators help programmatically because we can vision all day, but if somebody doesn't put this in the community, it's not going to happen. Right. And, and I had a lot of learners in the agency. And again, it helped craft some of the conversations for capacity and what we needed in the agency after we did the skills so it, it wasn't personal. It wasn't offensive. It was, we need a good cross-section of talent for the work that we want to do. And of course, I need all my learners. I need people who will, you know, digest these grants and look at all the fine details and seek more information. But I also need people that are not going to stay stuck in quagmire and not be able to affect change and bring these programs and roll them out. So I, I use um, all these leadership tools and, and kind of touted um, books and seminars and opportunities to help us refine our crafts and work also to help with the professional discipline of those around me, including myself, um, and want them to know that it comes from a legitimate place because that's, I think that grounds people when they know that this is, you know, based in some science and some action and, and tried and tr tested, and I can really get behind this. And so I use it in that way. So it just helped me, um, John Maxwell on the leadership. I was in a great group of people. That was another networking opportunity. It was like-minded individuals who sought out this training. So it uh, developed another network for me and people to go to, as well as help me just become uh, a more formalized and thoughtful leader in the work that I do. That's incredible. And so now that you've had these opportunities to lead at different levels, mm -hmm. different numbers of folks, different types of organizations, what would you say is the place of leadership? How much does it play in the ultimate success of that venture. I, I know I feel really, I have really strong feelings about that, but I want to hear your thought because you've come from the different perspectives of leadership at different levels in these companies. You know, for me, I was never a leader until I owned my own practice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was a leader, uh -huh. leader on a football team athletically and leader in like social circles. 
So I guess I had that. But as far as coming up through the ranks, I didn't do anything corporately. I literally started my own practice. Yeah. And then I was the leader and not necessarily very good at it, right? So <laughs> I have leadership perspective and feelings from one way, but I'm interested because you have done so many things, many of them that, you know, we're not even going to get to just because <laughs> of the sake of time. Okay. But um, you've just done this wonderful journey. Where does leadership sit in the ability for a business to live its natural, beautiful life cycle and have the impact it's meant to have? Well, I think at its core and and at this place um, in my life, and I'm 53. And so I think, you know, leadership is really influence. It's, it's a currency, right? It's, um, it's not the formalized title, you know, CEO, ED, VP. It's really the ability to influence others, um, to model behavior. Um, and it's, you know, when you look behind you, who's um, in cadence with you or who's willing to follow and raise their hand. That's where leadership really lives. And that shows up in small business, nonprofit, corporate environments. So again, some of those that have been bestowed upon to be leaders may not be the rightful leaders that we think. And That's I right, think, like a level one leader they, in, yes, the, in the it, Maxwell program. Exactly. Right. And I think uh, with um, social media and just um, looking at our millennials and our um, Gen Zs, they get it on some level. And it's, you know, again, we can talk about those different, um, you know, generational divides. But one thing they understand is kind of the influence that social media and that world yields. And someone can rise up in influence in their world very quickly um, through that medium. And again, they may not last if they don't garner um, good reputation, credibility. Or bring value. value. Yes. Exactly. Bring mm-hmm. value. But again, it's a different time because in its rawness, they understand that. They understand the currency of influence. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Yes. So, And they're able to, um, you know, look within their peer group and kind of rally behind those that they feel are influencers. And it's, you know, again, we have that name. There are paid influencers right now. So with leadership, um, big or small, corporate, nonprofit, who's influencing? Who's influencing in thought and behavior and ability within these teams um, and and again, becoming the leadership that the organizations need and who also is prepared to kind of move out of the way as a business evolves and ebbs and flows to that level of leadership. Again, it can't be the figurehead model that we've had for the last 25 or 30 years because that may not be in keeping with the objectives of the business or the nonprofit or the corporation. And we have to make space for that. And that's a good segue into some of the diversity conversations we're having to have now. Yes. You can't, if you know that there is a market share that lives within a certain demographic and you don't have that representation on your leadership team, how are you truly delivering value, quality, and integrity with that product or service without that representation? It doesn't happen. It doesn't make sense, yes, right? It's exactly. not logical. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So you have to look out across your organization and say, you know, what do I need? You know, what what don't I have? Um, you know, what am I willing to put in place and what kind of influencers or leadership do I need at this time um, and and kind of move out of your own thinking. And I, you know, again, I do that for myself routinely with the team that I have. Um, and I also ask them and call upon them to do the same. That's beautiful. Well, you know, from my perspective, it's, I couldn't have said it as well as you just oh. said it. And that was beautiful. And the way that I look at it, when I said I had strong feelings about that, everything in my mind rises and falls on leadership mm-hmm. that I've been part of a couple of companies in my, you know, last 20 years 
where as the the company grew and things changed, the leadership focus changed. Well, when the leadership focus changes, everything below that's going to start altering that and that can alter culture. And of course, you know, as they say, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. If, if people are happy and they're engaged and they're enthused, they're going to be good. Yeah. And the, the, the business's vision or mission has a much better chance of being accomplished. But if all of a sudden things change at the top, eventually that's going to trickle down into either unhappiness or confusion or even chaos sometimes. So I love what you just said about leadership being influenced. And I agree. And I think for anyone listening on this podcast, whether you're the the owner, the boss, the manager, or what you might think as quote unquote, the lowest level employee, we can all be leaders and influencers and whoever's following, that is the true leader, right? Yeah, like it, right. that influencer, that's the leader regardless of title. So yes. us all working on our own interpersonal skills, our ability for um, self-awareness mm-hmm. and empathy and controlling our attitudes, regardless of the situation around us. To me, that's how you develop leadership and then some good experience of just having a chance to make tough decisions. Yeah, tough you, decisions. You yeah. put that together and now all of a sudden you're starting to go somewhere. And, and I think that takes us now to what you're doing with Senior Hub. I want you to talk about your position here at Senior Hub sure. and what the mission and the vision is of that wonderful organization. Sure. So the Senior Hub is a nonprofit organization. Um, I've been with them two and a half years and I'm the executive director. Um, so again, it, it means that I'm I'm the one in the community that's usually the face. I also speak directly with donors and funders to try to shore up the agency across program areas for funding. So basically, I help keep the lights on. Um, in addition to that, I really um, work with my team on a regular basis and help influence programmatic decisions. I report to our board of directors in a nonprofit structure. So that's another conversation. Um, but within Senior Hub, as I said, I've been there two and a half years. And the, and the agency has existed in Adams and Arapahoe County since 1986. Yes. Um, our patriarch or our, our longest standing leader was 18 years, How- Howard Yeoman. He passed away last year from stomach cancer. Oh. Um, so that was, you know, that was a change. They had someone in the at the helm before I came and I really kind of view her as more transitional. She, you know, came from a nonprofit, but I don't know that she really um, was, had the grit to st- kind of stick out and weather the transition. What we do in our mission is we serve older adults in Adams and Arapahoe County. And is older, is there a specific age on older or is it someone who's determined based on functionality and need over 50, over 60, or, or is there a definitive line there? Great question. So it's really folks 55 and up because that's where a lot of the um, you know state funding parameters lie for some of our program areas like Meals on Wheels delivery. Okay. So 55 plus, but now we're able to engage a little bit younger with some of the tech initiatives that we've started. Again, with what you're saying based on diminished ADL functions or co- some cognitive uh, activities of daily living or cognitive de- decline, we can engage older adults differently. But really the mission of the senior hub is to help older adults remain in place at home as long as possible with supportive services, because that has shown um, historically through research that that is the best way to age. That's aging well to the extent that you can. And that's why- The independence factor. Absolutely. And the community connection and interpersonal relationships and family relationships you can actualize, you know, by living at home. So that's really the mission of the Senior Hub. Um, We have 
really four core program areas I will say now, which is um, food and meal distribution. So we are part of the umbrella, which is Meals on Wheels National. So we deliver about 420 hot meals a day within the Adams County footprint. Um, under are those delivered by volunteers? They or, are. Oh. They are delivered wow. by volunteers, retirees, folks. We have about 40 or 50 that are very committed to that program. Um, and then we also have home care services, non-medical home care services. So those are folks that come into an aging adult's home and provide bathing and dressing assistance. They do meal prep, uh, med reminders, and laundry. And they're also companions. Then we also have a freestanding adult day center um, in Federal Heights. It's actually suspended service right now due to COVID. I was going to ask. Yeah. 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 And um, again, it's a full or half day program. We do exercise, games and activities, field trips, um, you know, great meals and nutrition and snacks there. Um, And that's ongoing stimulation. And it's also a great respite for primary caregivers to have a safe place for their older adult loved one to go to have, uh, you know, a good quality day. Right. So that's the intentionality of adult day service. So on that program, I want to stop yeah. there for a second, because yeah. I think that's critical. Um, unfortunately, is there a time frame when it might open back up again? Is there, have you guys been able to see the light at the end of the, the COVID tunnel for that to open back up? And that's part one. And part two is, do people have to qualify to go into that program? Because obviously you could fill the doors w- a thousand times over of what your capacity is, how, who gets chosen or how, how are they allowed to know who gets to be part of that? Cause I just think it's so incredibly important. Yeah. So we do work with a physician referral. Um, um, and it's based on, again, somewhere on the spectrum of cognitive decline. So we primarily serve those with dementia and Alzheimer's in that program. So that's our focus for that program. And again, um, anyone upon discharge or through the hospital system or even the physician system could make a recommendation to our program for that level of service. And is that paid for through, um, like, do you guys cover the cost of it, like a Stride Community Health Centers does? Or is it something that you take their insurance? Or how do you guys get that funded? So we do have um, kind of three funding blocks. So we have grant funds um, that we offer to um, different families and individuals for the service. We also work with Medicaid as a payer, and then we take private pay for families who are able to do that. So kind of three different buckets. Um, And again, Medicare requirements are a little bit more stringent than the other payers. Um, The grant dollars we like are very nice with our funders, and we we can flex them a little bit more. But we try to accommodate um, families to the extent that we can. Beautiful, beautiful, what a great program. And then with COVID, it has been a challenge. Um, Again, we looked at really reopening um, September, the month we're in, about two and a half months ago. And we did a survey within the families and the caregivers and asked some very tough questions. And one thing, again, in looking at leadership and and making good decisions and really wanting to meet the need um, and not disadvantage anybody during this time, which looks at staff as well as participants and families they go home to. So um, the surveys came back and what the families wanted most was guaranteed on-site COVID testing, which at that time I could not guarantee on any level, and that they would have enough time in the event that someone tested positive with symptoms, staff or other participants to make plans for that loved one and possibly get them into another type of facility setting or um, private pay or something. And those were guarantees I couldn't provide because, you know, with the state oversight we have, if we had active COVID and 
I had to, I would have to shut down immediately and um, put some things in place. Um, the isolation room I could accommodate in the facility, that that was the only one out of three on their list of primaries that I could meet. So that just let me know. And again, another way I informed team and I used it in a very pragmatic way to say, hey, they're not ready. I know we miss our service delivery and the environment we created ADS and our clients, but families have these anxieties and these are needs we can't fill. I can't commit to COVID onsite testing and I can't commit to a nice time frame for which they can make other plans because if I have an outbreak, I have to shut down. Yes. <laughs> so yes. that was very helpful for them to see and know that and say, okay, this is a sound decision. And now, you know, it's one that other adult day centers are kind of abiding by as well and looking at not reopening. And a lot of us are talking about, you know, we want to see what kind of this flu season brings. Um, and also the availability of vaccines and ongoing testing. Those are all determining factors for us to really successfully reopen that program. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And that was our third program of the four, right? Yes, it was. What's Thank the, you. What's the fourth program? So it's kind of a overall umbrella. It's called Senior Solutions. Um, under Senior Solutions, we have our food pantry, which moved to curbside. And you're, you know, you you probably see us as you drive in this building. Yes. Um, that we meet them right out with um, a combination of uh, produce and dry goods for any family that pulls up there, as well as we have um, what we've launched now during COVID, our market nights, a series of market nights. So before Federal Heights um, Waterworld parking lot turned into a COVID testing site, we were there with market boxes. We were serving 300 a week in a drive-through um, at that setting. And now we have a dedicated drive-through market night at uh, Thornton High School. And at uh, the end of September, we will launch one for Westminster. And then we're looking at a smaller one for Commerce City. So we've kind of pivoted with our um, our food pantry and expanded it to meet more need. And although the older adult is central to our programming goals and our mission, this program allows us to serve families. Because as you know, an elder sits in a family. And a lot of our families, by virtue of what's happening economically and socially with them, they need that extra bump that 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 market box provides. So it really serves four. Then we've also had partnerships with Perry's Pizza and Einstein Bagels and others that are bringing additional goods to that site so that they can have like a ready to eat pizza and bagels and other things. Um, so we are serving community truly by even just starting with the elder as the center point, but other families are getting served. Uh, thank you for doing that. Yeah, that, that's so amazing. we love that program. Yeah, so Market Box, it came from COVID and it's under our food um, pantry umbrella. So that's kind of, and then um, it's not a program and it's right, I would say it's an initiative at this point, but it um, kind of started uh, under senior tech um, where we were doing some in-person classes and learning for technology adoption with our elders. So smartphone one-on-one, -on -one, Microsoft basics, um, you know, things like that. And we're having a good amount of success. Uh, Deloitte was one of our earliest funders on that. And they kind of uh, kicked us off in that arena. Since COVID has happened, you know that a lot of older adults are staying home. They're, you know, they're they're very fearful of going out, and yes. the, the messaging is for them to stay home and stay safe. So we launched during COVID something called Weld Elder 
in partnership with Adams County. And Well Elder is a series of structured activities. It's reassurance calls. It's also, and it's run by, we have oversight with program um, staff, but then the volunteers really make the calls. And so there are a series of calls that provide companionships and share resources within the community, transportation, food banks, other things, testing sites. Then we also do what we call um, scam and fraud prevention education on the phone, which talks about, because you know, our so older necessary. adults are inundated with scams and frauds. And so we educate them on those. Some have sprung up during COVID. And then finally, which is most important with me coming out of a healthcare setting, and you, you'll be sensitive to this, is education and training on the advanced directive through the five wishes document. Because a lot of times as older adults navigate in and out of the healthcare system, they don't have their wishes outlined. And we know as Are you talking end of life yes, stuff? Yes, end of yes. life, yes. So yeah. you know as a practitioner that that is something that every individual should be able to determine for themselves with, of course, the participation of their doctor and a loved one. But those things should be rightfully outlined. So we're trying to drive that education and ultimately them completing that document. So we've launched Well Elders, which is a series of these calls with these particular activities. Um, in the midst of that, we enjoy a technology partner called Routinify. Um, they came to us last year. We launched them small with 20 units. It's a tablet and a wearable that an elder can have in their home. We pre-program the tablet to create what they call a care circle and a care plan. So the care plan looks like frequent reminders about taking your meds, about bathing and dressing, about getting up and moving, you know, and doing some exercise. It allows you to download music and podcasts and other things. And then also the care circle is a pre-programmed group of individuals that are kind of your safe persons that you don't have to remember. So it could look like your nurse practitioner, your PA, a volunteer, a family member, the senior hub. Um, And so we're really proud of this product and this partnership. So we're scaling that, getting more units out in the community under this initiative as we identify those who have need. Wow. And so what would you say, like what you've just shared is a huge, varied spectrum of the services that you provide to not only the aging, but now if they're living with families due to all of this, now you're affecting different generations through the meals program, that kind of thing. Do you see, Stephanie, a a primary impact that you want to have in the lives of elderly in the next one, two, five years, or maybe with COVID and everything else, it's hard to project out that far anymore. I, I don't know, but do you see where you want to make more of an impact on them not being in food deserts in their own home mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. in them having this control of independence or um, like, I would love to see a program and maybe you guys have something like this already where these people, man, they they have so much wisdom to share. Is there a way that we can tap that wisdom, use them as mentors for someone else, give them value and purpose to, to help with their belonging within our society and where they should be placed, which is on a pedestal. Yeah. Do you guys do yeah. you guys see where you're taking the influence or the the primary tip of your the senior hub spear at all or is it going to just hey man let's just keep really growing and developing more and more robust programs for our aging community? Great question. Yeah. I think um you know Early on, I looked at the senior hub and I, I I said, oh, again, a lot of the wisdom's in the name. We should be a hub. So again, service delivery for older adults are really 
any, um, you know, youth or anyone should be holistic and comprehensive in my opinion. Yes. You know, we approach things and I understand that we have multiple providers at play and funding sources and things have been kind of a band-aid approach, but I really want the senior hub as it moves forward to really look at the older adult organically and holistically. Again, well elder is a great example of that by virtue of the, um, reassurance calls, we can provide companion, ongoing companionship. We can do education about scam and frauds in real time. We can help drive adoption of the advanced directive and identifying and, and, you know, documenting your final wishes. So that's comprehensive, right? And then the technology piece, we have to drive technology with older adults. They say a lot of the boomers are not going to probably 20 to 30% adoption overall as a population. Again, us in the fifties, we grew up, you know, um, in our fifties grew up with using a, you know, or by the time we got to work, we were, you know, our Microsoft office we used outlook so we will have a better relationship with technology than right. the boomers will yes um but again by the time we get there and i tell my friends are like why do you do this work working with old people i'm saying i am investing in your future my friends <laughs> I'm, I'm, by the time you get there you're going to have a lot of supports and services ready yes. so i um but we have to drive this adoption with technology because it is a great tool again having a wearable and a tablet tracks sleep and falls um gives us an ongoing two-way communication with community through this device. And these are things that I want the senior hub to drive. I'm also part of an initiative that we didn't talk about, which is changing the narrative. And changing the narrative um, is homegrown. It started in Colorado through two different funders, the Rose Foundation and Next50. Um, they launched the initiative after a Frameworks um, Institute study about aging. And it was, again, started with a series of conversation. If we really want to change things within the aging space, we have to talk about our older community differently. We have images that are either, you know, you're you're so old and frail you can't get out of bed to the super senior that you're out rock climbing and you're taking Viagra. I mean, let's just face it, that's what we see. Yes. But there's a lot in between that spectrum. So I'm one of the rightful 22 change agents, capital A-G-E, that talks about and facilitates dialogues and conversation about new messaging around aging. I mean, what is aging as a spectrum, for example? Aging looks different in different communities, culturally and socially. Aging is the way we talk about and represent older adults and publications and media. They don't always need to be sitting in a subordinate position. If I'm a caregiver or a youth that's helping an older adult, you know, why is it that I'm always kind of cascading over them instead of lateral? So a lot of these changing the imagery, the messaging, and really the voice around aging so that it is more inclusive and equitable for everyone. And it doesn't create these us against them dynamics. Wow. And, and to your point earlier is wisdom. They have so much inherent wisdom and knowledge and experience that we don't always actualize and, um, you know, utilize. Our youth is hungry for this on some level. Some things I do see in breakdowns in um, some of my program leadership is uh, social development, social skills, refinement of social skills. Their world is very quick. It's sound bites. It's broken down communications. It's text messaging. They shy away from conflict and confrontation um, and, and walking and, and navigating that. And that's some things that older adults um, that have been career professionals or teachers or principals can help them with. Those are soft skills development that we don't want to lose for certain generations. Great so, point. 
absolutely looking at um, grandparenting and mentorship programs. I know the intern, that movie really, really touched me with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway because, again, she was uh, a top performer, had created this business, was getting ready to scale, had the opportunity to invest and maybe lose some control. And he was a, a staple and a sounding board within her four walls and offered her something completely different. He may not have understood the technology or the distribution or all of that, but he could, uh, he really was in tune with her and was able to be a safe place and support for her emotionally and on the soft skill side that she needed at that time. Yes. So there's a lot of value and benefit to having intergenerational office space and work environments. Um, my oldest employees in their 60s, I, I did have one that was 72 that retired last year. Um, <laughs> and again, all the way down to probably 24 with some of our care workers. So there's a good spectrum there. Um, That's right. Again, the inclusion, yes, right? The diversity absolutely. of age, of experience, all the rest of that we talked about earlier. Yeah. So there's a wonderful opportunity for us to work collaboratively to benefit from each other's skill sets and experiences and mindsets. And we need to avail ourselves to that. And we need to create opportunities within workspaces to do that. Yes. Um, you know, um, so that's exciting. And I want the Senior Hub to lead some of those initiatives and efforts to have those conversations about how we are in intergenerational um, space, how we have adopted changing the narrative and changing messaging around aging adults and how we're looking at the older adult community holistically with adoption of technology and every need uh, that they have and access to those services. Yeah. So <clears throat> what what's the reach of the Senior Hub? Is it local just here to Denver? Does it go to Colorado? Is this a branch of a national organization? And as we kind of bring this in for a landing here, what are the ways that people can, if they're interested, they they can learn more, they can reach out, they can volunteer, they can donate. Yeah. How can how can we get involved as a community? So, you know, can someone from North Carolina do something to help the senior hub? Great question. So currently we um, only provide service in Adams County in Arapahoe County. I do see this agency as we grow scaling to a regional agency for sure. Um, you know, my team is like, oh, national, national, maybe, but regional for sure. And again, we have ongoing needs for volunteers that can help support our programming in Adams County and Arapahoe County. So that looks like Meals on Wheels drivers. That looks like folks that are willing to make some of these reassurance calls through the Well Elder Initiative. It also looks like something that's spun up and we haven't talked about during um, COVID, but it's called Material Aid. It's where we go out and we purchase um, food items, personal care and cleaning supplies for an elder on their behalf. So it's kind of like personalized shopping. We did it. We sprung up during COVID because, again, we wanted to minimize the points of contact yes. for older adults being out in these stores. And all those stores launched hours for elders. It was still scary and a hard experience for them to go out. So we need delivery drivers to help support that program. But that has a lifespan. So, again, Meals on Wheels. Um, also, we had volunteers at the Adult Day Center. And we always need donations large and small, right? So you can go to seniorhub.org. You can make a donation online. You can mail in a donation. You can call our office if you want to make a donation in another way. Um, but one of the things that's on my wish list, and I just put it out there because it, it, it is on my heart and it's something that we have been needing. We need a revamp for our adult day center kitchen. 
Um, our kitchen is about mm, 20 years. It needs a refresh. Yes. It doesn't have commercial graded appliances, stainless steel surfaces. There's some breakdown in the flooring. Um, and a lot of funders don't necessarily like to reach in with capital expenditures. They like to fund program and program initiatives, but they're like, hey, 70, that's a big capital expense. It could have overruns, blah, blah, blah. You know the drill. So we would really like to see, um, you know, something in the neighborhood of sixty-five to seventy thousand dollars with refurbished commercial-grade appliances to revamp our kitchen, because one of the things that we do when we reopen Adult Day is we have meals catered in because we don't meet the state guidelines for kitchen prep and delivery within our. And to me, that doesn't make sense. We, right. We bring food in for those we serve. That's an additional cost and time drag to our team. And also there's an employment opportunity. If we have a commercial gate kitchen to have our own cook or chef, we could also create some side revenue by doing maybe a specialized or custom menu item that we can offer to the community for a small price and have some revenue coming in. I like that. So, yeah, so we're not there. That's um, again, since I've been been at the helm two and a half years. I'm like, we need a kitchen. We need a fully functioning commercial grade kitchen of which we can work out and run other programming. And then we can also provide congregate dining in the evening. It sits in Federal Heights. It's uh, bordered by several uh, manufactured home and mobile home parks are some of our lower income families. And that could be a place for them to get a congregate meal um, in the evenings. But we don't have a commercial grade kitchen to facilitate that. So wow. well, that's hopefully a big this message, ask. Yes, yes, that's a hopefully big ask. Hopefully this message yeah. goes out and we can, we can get yeah. that done for you. Yeah. yeah, I would love to have a commercial grade kitchen for the senior hub at our adult day center, putting it in the universe. I want to ask you uh, one more thing, sure. just kind of a popcorn question. Okay. And it is this, who do you find to be some of your inspirations, role models, go-tos for information? Like I have a group of people, I listen to a lot of podcasts, whether it's Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, um, you know, some, some other podcasts I love to listen to. There's some authors that I like that, and that's where besides conversations like this, where I learn a ton, right? Just meeting with people and learning from you and getting your wisdom. Do you have any go-to sources of information? Cause you've just shown and shared so much in wisdom and in leadership <laughs> and in understanding today, you know, you've stuck your hand in honey pots and a lot of honey has stuck. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so there might be that's some nice. people listening that say, man, that's the kind of person I want to follow. How did she get that way? Obviously, your father was yeah. was one. Obviously, mm -hmm. John Maxwell was yes. one. Yep. Are there are there a couple others that you would just kind of leave us with as either books we should uh, follow or people we should check out? Yeah, so definitely Brene Brown, the Dare to yes. Lead series. Um, yes. um, you know, did that last year audio, and again, she's just such a tour de force. Again, starting with the premise of vulnerability and shame, and staring that in the face. I mean, that's huge work. So yeah, huge Brene, work. yeah, Brene Brown for sure. Um, Mindy Harris. I recently took a vacation. I was in New Orleans. She wrote a book. Um, I think it's two years old now, called The Memo, and the Memo. Um, and she's now launched a series of leadership leadership um, talks and facilitates leadership. And the memo is a message to African-American women in corporate and other sectors about um, being present and being at the table. We didn't get the memo. We don't know how to move in and out of these rooms. We weren't reared in these ways. We miss opportunities because we didn't get the memo. So that's been another very interesting read. And, you know, um, some of the leadership stuff she's doing around that are, are very powerful. Um, and then again, I've, you know, I've adopted the Calm app. I do have to work on, I'm, I'm type A, full disclosure. <laughs> I do have to work on mindful thoughts and just some of the mindful master speakers that are on the 
Calm app. And I, I think I saw a commercial for it. LeBron James was pushing it. And I was like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to get centered. And I, I do it at least two to three times a week and pull up a new kind of um, a master mindfulness speaker off that app. It is helpful. And um, we're actually doing a wellness day for the senior hub. Um, you provided a resource. Ramos Law provided a resource to us for someone that is skilled in meditation, mindfulness. Yes. Yes. She's great. Um, yeah. yeah. Allie. Yep. Beckman. So she's going to work with our team. We have a full day planned where we're going to start with a general session and do some small breakout sessions based on very specific topics for staff and then do like a little care kit um, for each staff person. So I wanted to put that in place because we have been essential workers. We've been on the front line since March. We're, you know, we're now, you know, we go out, we put our happy face on and we serve the community, but we've got, I've got staff with kids at home and they're trying to do virtual learning and, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's a heavy lift. I mean, it's a lot of stress and anxiety and, it, and it's a part, part of our time. And so I want to make sure, again, as a leader, I'm reaching in, being sensitive, observing, hearing and listening and seeing what's going on with my team and putting some tools in place for them that will serve them not just in this role, but over their lifetime. That is amazing. Well, I'll tell you what, Stephanie, I have had a wonderful time. <laughs> Thank you. This has been such a great conversation. And I hope the people listening not only get the intelligence and the amazement that you are as a human. Thank you. <laughs> but also the importance of the work that you're doing. And, and if this moves their heart or pulls on their heartstrings, even a little bit to find a way to help those. Cause we all know someone who, who was at one point at the top of the mountain, at the top yeah. of their career. And then you watch them five or 10 or 20 years later. My, my dad's a perfect example. My dad was the ultimate alpha male. I mean, the ultimate alpha male, okay. like he would get in a fight in his sixties if you challenged him, no <laughs> yeah. problem. Well, now he's in his seventies with stage four cancer. Oh, wow. And mm -hmm. I just have watched this person. He's just a, not the same human being, yeah. although he's the same soul, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. And, no, totally. And so yeah. even without a chronic illness and a debilitating illness to go through, we all change. And so if we can be sensitive to that continuum of life and to those people, I think it's just going to make a big difference. So hopefully we, we brought some good awareness to senior hub and, and yeah, you just, thank you know, you. you just did such a great job. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.